This is Athenia, giving voice to the people who make Athens, Georgia, the unique, weird, and wonderful place we call home. I love beer pong. And so before you judge me, I just want to point out that I'm not an alcoholic. It's just that every time I go to a house party, the first thing I do is find a partner and call next game. And it's not your typical sport in that there are no clear-cut rules. I mean, I'm sure there are official rules somewhere online, but no one actually follows them. Instead, there are these understood rules that can morph and differ across space and time. For instance, there's a ton of variation around the rule of calling island. For people who don't know what that is, it's when you shoot for a cup that's not touching any other cup. Some people think that when you get it in, it's worth two cups, but some people say it's worth three. And if there are two different potential islands, some people say that you have to call which specific island you're shooting for. And for other people, an island's an island. It doesn't matter. And if you get in a cup that's not an island cup, some people say that cup won't count at all, so you don't get to take it away. And that's just one rule out of dozens. So much of the nitty-gritty parts of the game are up for debate, but somehow in the moment, it just works. Even though everyone comes together with their own distinct understanding of how the game is played, it never fails to bring people together. And as someone who is sometimes socially awkward at parties, beer pong has really helped me find common ground with people I normally wouldn't interact with. It's helped me appreciate that even for the most competitive, inebriated college students, sports can really create a unique sense of camaraderie and community that I've come to love. I'm Jenny Alpaw. And I'm Shannon Hoshield. When I say sports, what do you think of, Shannon? Hmm, I guess football, baseball, basketball, soccer, the usual stuff? Is today's episode about sports? Well, not exactly. Today on Athenia, we have stories about a variety of activities that could be considered alternative sports. In the opening segment, we heard reporter Angela Higginson talk about beer pong. Normally, I'd give an intro letting our listeners know what to expect, but this time, I think I'll let the stories speak for themselves. Up first, a look at Ultimate Frisbee in Athens. Ultimate is a non-contact team sport where seven players work together to move a disc down the field from their end zone to their opponent's end zone. You may have heard of Ultimate Frisbee or even seen groups of people playing it around Athens, and Ultimate as a sport is gaining more public attention in the U.S. and worldwide. Olympics organizers have considered including Ultimate in future games, and Vermont just became the first state to approve Ultimate as a varsity sport. Athenia producer Lauren Baggett brings us this snapshot of the Ultimate Frisbee Club at Clark Middle School, where new players learn the game and find community. Uh, I'm Jordan Perry. I am a middle school teacher in Clark County and a huge fan of Ultimate Frisbee. While I coach Ultimate Frisbee at Clark Middle, uh, it is a club as opposed to a sport and that is a huge advantage because it allows all the grades to participate, 6th, 7th, and 8th in the middle schools. In Athens, 6th graders are not eligible to play sports, so that's a big deal because it's a very positive part of their life. And because it's a club, it allows us to do it co-ed. 
which makes it available to literally everyone. And it brings a lot of kids that might not have gone out for a sport anyway or just need a social activity and then realize that running around can be fun even if they don't like PE. So uh, Ultimate at Clark Middle at least is, I would say, a very open, very welcoming space. And that's really important to me to promote it that way. Amelia, pick up. Amelia, that welcoming extends to, oh, have you ever played a sport before? No? Okay, come play ultimate. We'll teach you. We'll get you going. I played a little bit of soccer when I was a little kid, and I was good because I was twice the size of everybody. And then they got to be my size, and I stopped. And then I found ultimate later, and for somebody that didn't really play any sports, it was remarkably easy to be absorbed and to learn how to play. I feel like it's a sport for the every person, for people really out of shape, for people that aren't that fast. Everyone can find a niche in it and can find a level where they can really compete and play hard and it's worth their time. It started because there were actually multiple teachers that played ultimate in college and it was a big deal to us. And we had a parent of an upcoming student. She was in fifth grade at the time and the parent wanted to make sure there was an established team by the time she got there in sixth grade. And it was sort of the catalyst that got us off our butt. And we started the team. That's called fast count. I think that in a lot of ways, the sport is second to the um, cultural, uh, yeah, to the cultural openness. When I started playing, realistically, my first good experience was in Summer League, which is co-ed. It was in Athens, so there was only six teams at the time. And the person covering me was telling me where to go. They were teaching me while we were playing and had no reason to do that and didn't know my name yet. They were just being kind, and that was sort of normal. And so I don't know that that is the case in a lot of sports. I think, especially competitively, you want to take advantage of anything you can on the field. It's like a military operation in a way, and I don't feel like ultimate functions that way at its base level. Not a lot of people come to Athens without a very specific reason. Most of them are here for the university or a job because they heard it was a cool place to live. So I think a lot of people end up here for something and then realize that this place is awesome and it's a very concentrated small population of people that are open-minded and welcoming and sort of out of character for some of the Southeast. And, And in that way, I think that's exactly the character of Ultimate. It sort of draws people in because it's welcoming, it's safe, it's adventurous. It helps you get out of your comfort zone and it sort of gives you anonymity when you're doing that. You can be who you want to be, but then when you play Ultimate, you can wear garish costumes and ugly clothing and it's like, yeah, of course, you're doing that. And then you can go to work and back to your normal life and not do that. So it's sort of a safe space and I think Athens functions that way. It's sort of like a little, little bastion of freedom. It's, you can be whoever you want, and no one seems to care. Hey, 
is a piece we've pulled from our archive. It was produced in the spring by Davis Clark and Jake Neal. Earlier this year, during my British Lit class, a speaker came in to talk to us about medieval armor through the perspective of his medieval and renaissance society, or Mars for short. We thought this was super cool, so Jake and I decided to go check out one of the practices on a Monday evening at Memorial Park. When we first arrived, we entered a gym with wooden floors and there were six people practicing with wooden carved weapons that looked like swords. About 15 minutes passed before they stopped, bowed to each other, and finally walked over to talk with us. Thank you for not walking around on your shoes, so that, that was cool. Uh, the senseis are going to talk to everybody, and, and, uh, and I'm sure they will be happy to answer any questions you have. Why don't you guys take off your shoes and make yourself comfortable? Come to find out, we weren't in the right place at all. No, uh, oh, so you're in the wrong place. Okay, okay well, this is... Yeah, yeah, no, the, the Renaissance, these guys are the Renaissance. Yeah, and after taking a look out the door, we noticed a group of people very enthusiastically waving rapiers at each other and decided that was where we needed to be. We walked down to the basketball court and spoke with Devin Kirkpatrick, who is an undergraduate student at UGA. She talked to us about the focus of the group. Yeah, um, so the Medieval and Renaissance Society is kind of a subset of the Society for Creative Anachronism. And so we basically recreate anything before the 16th century, except, you know, without, like, the plague and, like, bathrooms. Like, we really appreciate that. She went on to tell us more about how Mars isn't just limited to waving sticks at each other. But we also do like kind of like arts and sciences stuff, like beekeeping. Uh, you can learn how to horseback ride. Like if, if it's been done before like the 1600s, you can actually do it like calligraphy. So. Later, we heard from Anthony Cagle, a longtime member of Mars, who shared with us how he got involved with the group. Um, I actually got involved with this uh, about 13 years before I actually did get involved with it. Okay, awesome story, right? Life happens, and I was actually in Macon, and all of a sudden my roommate, I was at work, and my roommate calls me at work and just screams into the phone, get to the library. I'm like, what's going on? Is the library on fire or something? Get to the library. It slams the phone down. It was great. So I go down there, and there's guys down there beating, beating each other with these sticks, and I was like, I found my people. <laughs> and that was 10 years ago now. 11 years ago. Wow. 11 years ago now. After explaining to us a little more about the hierarchy involved with the group, he pulled over Casey Gordon, a more experienced member of the group. Um, Casey. Yeah. Duke Orlando Cavalcanti. Duke because he has actually won the, uh, won the king's crown more than once. Which, of course, when you're king, you're your majesty, you're, you know, you're, you're the king. You know. <laughs> you know, uh, the king gets to run the region, his word is law. Casey has actually earned the title of King three times in combat tournaments. King is only a temporary position, but because he has achieved this title more than once, he now permanently holds the title of Duke. 
So when one guy wins, it's because the other guy said, ah, you got me. Um, in modern fencing, for example, they use electric tips. They have a very regulated system to, you know, and, and I'm not trying to diss modern fencing. But it's, you know, you know, the, there's a certain weight factor for the pressure on the tip, and it's all very electronic. And we can't figure out a way to do that. We have such variety in armor and weapon styles and stuff. So we rely on personal integrity. And the highest award we can give in the physical combat area is not specifically for winning fights. It's for winning fights and personal integrity and character. And you can be a big sword jock guy and still not be a knight of the society. Knight of the society is the highest combat award. Um, and, and that is dependent upon character as well. The last person we talked to was Hayden Souter, an undergrad student who learned about Mars in an interesting way. Uh, I was walking through Tate Plaza one day between my history and Italian classes and saw uh, Lucas actually over there and one guy, Ray, fighting in the middle of the Tate Plaza and decided to skip my Italian class to watch them. Hayden was also very helpful in explaining the rules of rapier fighting, one of the most popular and well-known practices in Mars. A valid pressured touch to the torso, head, and arm's length down the inside of your arm, and the same down on the inside of your leg counts as a kill. A solid point to limbs counts as loss of the limb. You lose a leg, you have to either plant that leg and not move, or go down to the ground, hit in the arm, you lose the arm. And uh, you can also lay the, uh, the edge of the blade and pull it across with positive pressure, and that counts as a draw cut, and that is also the same as a, a stab. Hayden also told us a little bit about what large events look like when several Mars groups assemble. His favorite part was participating in battles, which can encompass over 500 people on each side. What really struck us the most was the authenticity and genuine nature of the members of Mars, particularly when they described to us the impact the group has on them personally. Several members of the group commented about the camaraderie they shared. It's really... Um... It's a lot of like very familial and like everyone like likes each other and like very like a group. Like we just came back from a week long like war where we're like camping for like a whole week and it's in Mississippi and uh, two of our people actually got stuck in Mississippi and they met someone there that like they never met but was in the group and the person like set them up like helped them fix their car like helped them find a place Stay. You wouldn't find that. We uh, we do more than just hang around and fight. We all get together and do stuff. We'll watch bad movies and eat pizza and drink beer, or we'll we'll go work on stuff or any. We we all hang out together because we're all friends. We're not just dudes who fight with each other. Um, And it's it's a big deal. There's also kind of a sense of patriotism for the local group, where it's like your group is is the group to be for no reason other than just vague patriotism. you move to a new region, you already have instant, uh, instant connections, instant friends. Instant. Uh, one of the one of the biggest things of, of the society is that with the greeting, "Welcome home." Like that's actually something that I've been contemplating. Like I've wanted to do combat archery for the longest time, and I'm like. For Athenia, I'm Davis Clark. And I'm Jake Neal. In this next segment, we explore the legend behind the popular video game, Slenderman, 
and also hear from the president of eSports at UGA. The character Slenderman is feared by many and understood by few. He was born on the internet and has many names, such as the Operator or Slender, but most know him as Slenderman. He is a very tall, faceless man who wears a black suit and lives in the woods. He sometimes has many tentacle-like arms that extend from his body, though sometimes the arms are more stick-like, similar to a spider's legs. The Slenderman was never a violent character. He was always like a lurker, even in the early stories, and even in, in most versions of the stories. He sort of watches over things, and, and when you think about internet culture, right, like, what's scarier than a lurker? <laughs> Dr. Shira Chess is an assistant professor at the University of Georgia in Mass Media Arts at Grady College. She co-authored a book about Slenderman and the development of the internet mythology. She explains that Slenderman was created in 2009 on an online forum called Something Awful by a guy with the username of Victor Surge. The forums went nuts, like immediately. It just like sort of rolled into itself where the entire forum suddenly became dedicated to Slenderman. And so everybody starts posting all kinds of images and some of those images went backwards in time. People started posting things like hieroglyphics that had the Slender Man in it. A lot of them took Eastern European spin. People made like woodcuts that had the Slender Man in it. It just went backward in history, forward in history. Like everybody just sort of jumped on this all at once. And people were writing news stories, people were making art, people were doing photos. Everybody was collaborating all at once. It was pretty awesome. Today, Slender Man is a popular monster with many people fearing his name. But why did this particular monster get so much attention? Another internet monster called the Rake was similar in appearance to Slenderman, except that this monster had a very toothy grin. But it didn't garner as much attention. When you think about it in a practical sense, if something has a whole bunch of teeth, then that's a really hard image to um, Photoshop like that. Whereas if you're just trying to like throw a faceless suited dude into a picture, then you know, and that's actually pretty easy to do. The rake is complicated to make. Slenderman, though very popular, does not have a consistent origin story. Now, however, he's made his way into pop culture in general. T. Anthony Murata, an assistant professor in theater and film studies at the University of Georgia, heard about this story and was inspired to create a puppet show based off of his idea of this monster. Each year, the, the Center for Puppetry Arts in Atlanta puts out a challenge to create new experimental puppet theater and a different way to get people excited about puppets in an adult way and not, oh, children with little goofy puppets. Um, so, I, you know, at first I was looking at Frankenstein and then I was looking at, um, you know, Dracula and Nosferatu and all these people, but something about Slenderman was pretty exciting because of this element that we in our modern time are kind of puppeting the experience of of Lenderman, of, of uh, uh, Slenderman, I'm sorry, in my piece it's S. Lenderman. Slenderman's vagueness um, really allows for many creators to make what they want of the character. He can be good, bad, who really can say? Creating many versions of the story was all fun and games until something horrible happened in May of 2014. You're going to meet a young woman with an extraordinary story of survival. She was the victim of a crime that shocked parents everywhere. Stabbed 19 times, allegedly by two of her friends, who said they were trying to impress a fictional internet character called Slenderman. Now her two friends lured her into the woods and stabbed her, leaving her for dead. She eventually crawled to a road where a biker found her and called 911. She survived and eventually went back to school, but the incident shocked fans worldwide. 
it's that dangerously close, uh, you know, that vampire who who romances all the women, right? And yeah, I want to be able to. So there's the allure to him as well as this this terrifying reality of him. I think is viewers might be convinced that he's been around for a very long time, making the story seem less like a legend and more like history. When you're looking at it on, online you're seeing the entire history at once and it must look astonishingly big to somebody who just like comes into it from late in the game. There's been sort of youth culture that has also romanticized him. So you, if you start looking at a lot of like fan fiction and fan art, there are a lot of things that treat him either as a patriarchal figure or as a um, love interest. So the Slender Man is faceless and like you can't imagine a more perfect boyfriend than a faceless boyfriend. Like that's that's exactly what you would want because you're projecting yourself and your desires onto that character. Many times when we're introduced to an evil character with a shady past, we want to create an origin story and understand them. Murata explains why this might be dangerous. I was actually, the first couple drafts of it, I was trying to justify him and humanize him, which I think we try to do with a lot of villains that become popular and try to say, oh, why does the Joker do that? But I, I, I think that robs him of his power and robs, uh, you know, it, it's such a modern thing to apply psychology and reasons on, onto things. And sometimes human behavior is, is more interesting to explore, at least I think, when we, we, we haven't yet figured out the good. People often get pretty dismissive about what, you know, um, the meaning of this and talking about the horror aspects, but the reality is that this is important because it has kids reading and it has kids writing. It's promoting literacy in a way that people can really understand. This character now has an entire universe surrounding him, filled with stories, songs, even video games. And the more attention he gets, the more sure we can be to see a little more of Slenderman just around the corner. For Athenia News, I'm Aditi Banlamudi. At UGA Esports November 15th meeting, I spoke with Annie Elon, its president and co-founder. She wanted to form a gaming community at UGA that was both a competitive force in the esports community and a welcoming space for anyone that identifies as a gamer. Even though the club was only established in 2015, its members have competed and won in the collegiate space, even winning scholarships for their skills. Whether it's the cartoonish shooter Overwatch or the more gritty Counter-Strike Global Offensive, video games are a serious business, which is what drew Annie to the sport to begin with. Speaking of brain power, the time UGA esports students are dedicating to video games isn't going unnoticed. In competition with other universities like Kennesaw State and Georgia Tech, one of the teams from UGA won first place and a hefty scholarship. Tell that to your parents the next time they say video games will rot your brain. I think I got into the esports community because it was more the professional side of things. And when I first looked into it, it was still pretty small and not as established. And I saw a lot of potential in that. And for it to becoming like something that's almost internationally recognized as like a big gaming community. Yeah. Cool. Um, so like any sport, obviously you need to practice to get good. Like what kind of work goes into playing esports? Um, well, we have different kinds of games and each game has a different learning curve. Um, so I guess the most common example is um, 
I have our League of Legends teams. We have three different, and they're all tiered based on like different skill levels. Our top team practices at least three times a week, which is a requirement, and we'll scrim other universities. And then they play matches every weekend. So it's pretty intense, I'd right. say, yeah. <laughs> um, so like, so you mentioned that y'all have teams for league. Uh, would you describe it more as like a team-based sport or is it more of a solo kind of, like do you need to be, I guess it depends on the game, but do you need to be like practicing together? Is there like, kind of that teamwork aspect of it? Yeah, for sure, because um, We've definitely had trouble forming teams before where some people are like very strong when they play by themselves and with mm -hmm. random people. But then when you put them together with their classmates or like people that they see every day almost, they might not work as well because personality clashes and then we would have to like rethink the teams and stuff like that. Um, and specifically for like our bot lane, we try to get them to duo together a lot and play more together since they're like the ones who will always be laning together mm -hmm. and I know a lot of them start to establish friendships and they try to like play together more outside of just like practices and stuff like that. Cool. Um, so what do you think about um, esports kind of becoming this more mainstream kind of thing? Do you think that's happening right now? Do you think there's a kind of like crossover appeal for people who are just sports fans or people who just like to play games? Um, I think it's happening because I know ESPN uh, featured CSGO matches on TV and there was definitely like negative feedback as well as positive feedback and I think the negative feedback was the general public thinking like this isn't a sport this is just video games like people are just sitting at their computers just clicking on their mouse and stuff and it's like it takes no coordination or skill but then from our side it's like the amount of practice and coordination and stuff like that that we put into it can almost be equal to like practicing for a regular sport it's just we might not be physically sweating like but it does take a lot of mental work yeah so we're very glad to have been able to do the tournament the georgia esports league state championship with uh, over eleven thousand dollars in scholarship money so i've given away some of that i didn't have been at kennesaw state university i gave away four thousand dollars of that but I did want to especially congratulate your students who won first place in both Brawlhalla and Power. You've been listening to Athenia. Reach out to us through our email, radioathenia at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook if you have a great Athens story that you want to share. Thanks to Nick Malice for our theme music, and special thanks to Julian and Glima for the music you're listening to now. Our team includes Jenny Alphoff, Lauren Baggett, Sarah Dupuis, Angela Higginson, Shannon Hoshield, Robin McIntyre, Paul Oshinsky, Jake Troyer, and Alex Vandenhoevel. This has been Athenia. Thanks for listening.
try to keep up with my own 